Amen. Thank you. So, I grew up in North Burnaby. Uh, North Burnaby, suburb of Vancouver, for anybody who didn't, wasn't born around here, doesn't know that. Uh, specifically in an area called Brentwood Park, which is just above Brentwood uh, Town Center uh, right now. Brentwood Park was a model subdivision. It, it was carefully designed streets in a big, big U-shape. Uh, all the houses looked similar. There were only two or three actual designs that you were allowed to build. So they all had the similar look to them. Uh, but it was kind of carved right out of the wilderness. At that point in Burnaby, we were surrounded by, by bush, by uncleared land. Where the Brentwood Shopping Center was, actually, was bush. And as kids, we used to play down there all the time. You know, it was, it was great. And it was so quiet back then, you could hear your mother call you for lunch from your back porch, and you could still hear her voice. Well, uh, I wouldn't say it was a kinder and gentler time, but it was a simpler time to be a kid. We didn't worry a lot about our future. We, uh, I guess as most kids do, we lived in the moment. We, we uh, especially all summer long when there was no school. Sometimes we'd head out of the house at 9, and we'd go down and play in that woods until lunch, and then we'd go back and play until we got called for supper, and we'd beg to go back after dinner because we had so much fun. Now, we did have some things, surprisingly, we did have some things that, that, that most of us wouldn't let our children have today, certainly not without supervision. My brother had a BB gun and a pellet rifle. A BB gun that you'll see on the next screen seen I think if it'll if it'll work yeah, it's not going to behave this morning it did this last week too um, red rider rifle a red rider BB gun and uh, anyway uh, my friends and I we just oh we wanted to get our hands on that we wanted to get our hands on that so bad but 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 my older brother was always around so we couldn't yeah couldn't okay but we did have some other toys uh, like Magnifying glasses. Uh, magnifying glass is great to get really good close-ups of small things. Uh, today, at, if you're uh, over a certain age, you'll find they're really good for, for reading the small print on things too because they're a little hard to see close up when you get older. But my friends and I discovered something else that you could do with them. You could fry bugs. On a hot summer day, you could focus the sun's rays and obliterate insects. And, and I, I was happy, I happily took part in all this. But one day, something changed in me. One day, I realized that the bugs and the occasional tadpole were, were living creatures. And my friends and I were killing them. It to say it, it took the fun out of it. And, and I, felt, I felt a bit of shame for doing it. And, and a wave of guilt washed over me, and I stopped. A few years later, a few years later, I got my hands on that pellet rifle. <laughs> yeah, my brother wasn't living at home, and the rifle still was there, so yeah. And I, I went with a friend of mine up under... Uh, it's called the uh, Iron Workers Memorial Second Narrows Bridge today. It goes to North Vancouver from Burnaby, Vancouver. And it was brand new, just brand new then. And, and we went up underneath that bridge. And back then, nobody stopped two kids carrying rifles. 
because kids used to do stuff like that with pellet guns and BB guns. And, and I thought we were going to go up and shoot cans or, or shoot bottles off a, off a ledge or something like that. But my friend was shooting at the pigeons and the seagulls. And again, I felt a wave of shame. I knew it was wrong. And, and, I, and I felt ashamed even being there. And yet, I, and yet I still went. I mean, I started like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> Shame on you. How many people, you don't have to put your hand up if you're out there, but you know. How many of us heard that growing up when we did something wrong? From the day we are born until, from the day we're born, we learn that, to, uh, we learn to feel that we are, we're either okay or we aren't okay. We are either accepted or we aren't accepted through our daily experience. Uh, whether we are, we're praised or criticized, whether we are lovingly disciplined or punished, and whether we are taken care of or we're neglected. And for some, for some of us, intense feelings of shame are attached to those, those things and can take hold of us and create low self-esteem. Uh, feelings of shame often stem from what other people uh, tell us or think about us. And our sense of self-worth is largely shaped by the people who are the most important to us, our, our parents, our family, people we look up to. If they praise us, we feel great about ourselves. But if they criticize us or shun us because of something, they end up leaving us feeling rejected. And sometimes our insides can churn with self-contempt or lack of worth. It's one thing to feel a momentary shame over something like the, the bug incident. But when we live with shame, when, we, when we're consumed by it over bad decisions we've made or things that we've done or that have happened to us, it's very difficult to establish and have a loving relationship with God. We are surrounded by people who are in massive amounts of pain. People who are slowly dying, some of them, in a secret world of shame. Some people are, are just ashamed because they've done such a, a, a horrible job with their finances and they've got credit card debt up to the ceiling and they've been irresponsible and they're ashamed of that. Others are ashamed about sexual sin that they've done in the past. And they carry that guilt into their future relationships. A huge number of people today live with the shame of a secret or maybe even a not-so-secret addiction. And they're, and they're ashamed of their inability to recover from it. And still others live with shame as victims of sexual abuse or other abuse and are crippled by false guilt over what has happened to them. The way we feel about ourselves shapes our lives. Shame, in that sense, can own us. There's hope. We're going to get there. <laughs> um, but shame does follow a pattern. It's a bit of a cycle. First, the first thing is we go through uh, an intensely painful event. Yeah, we do something awful or something awful happens to us. Then we start to believe this, this lie that somehow because of what we did or what has happened, we are failures. 
And not that, not that we've failed at something, but that we're failures. We really feel, we feel like we're screw-ups. Not, not just that we messed up. And there's an important distinction between those two, between feeling I am a failure and feeling that I failed. And then the next thing is that feeling of shame becomes a trap. Traps us into thinking that we can never recover or even that we don't deserve what we get, or that we don't deserve to have a good life. I'm a loser, baby. So when you live a shame-based life, your past pain becomes part of your present identity. And you start thinking, if I am the problem, I must be defective. And then you just think you don't deserve anything. I mean, why would God even want me, much less forgive me? By the way, that is one of the most powerful lies uh, that our enemy feeds us. Because our enemy will do whatever it takes to steal, kill, and destroy our relationship with the Lord. It's a powerful lie from him. And so we can go through life carrying this, a whole bunch of unhealed pain that shapes us and informs our lives and impacts everything we do and everyone we relate to. Now, maybe you've been listening and you may be asking, yeah, but well, what about things that I've done in the past that I know are wrong? Shouldn't I feel guilty about those? And the answer would be, yes, yes, of course you should. Yes, you should. But there's an important distinction between feeling a feeling of guilt and living with shame. They're very different. Guilt can be a state that we're in, a status, or it can be an emotion. Romans 3 actually says that all of us sin and fall short of the glory of God. We fall short of God's perfection and holiness. And we're separated from God because of that, by our sin. And in a legal sense, we are declared guilty. That is the state that we are in apart from Jesus Christ. Adam and Eve uh, made that choice for us. Uh, Our guilt doesn't depend on whether or not we feel guilty. Our guilt before God doesn't depend on that. It just depends on that condition of being apart from a relationship with Jesus. But we are guilty by nature and by choice because Adam and Eve gave us that nature. They chose in the garden to disobey God and to eat from the tree that was forbidden to them. They died spiritually that day, leaving an emptiness within. That's sort of that void within them that uh, left by that lack of spiritual connection with God. And we unfortunately inherit that nature. Could it have been different? Well, we won't ever know because the first couple didn't accept responsibility for their sin. They were shamed. They felt shame. And instead of owning up to God in repentance and turning away from it, what did they do? (laughs) They hid. They tried to protect themselves from being exposed as defective and lacking. And they tried to hide that fact. They tried to hide from God. They tried to cover themselves Uh, cover their own sin by their own efforts. 
I mean, seriously, how can you hide from God? It can't be done because nobody is righteous in themselves. No one. Well, enter God. Paul wrote to the church in, in Ephesus in chapter 2 of his, of his letter. He said, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. By grace we have been saved. So because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross, all who receive him, and trust that finished work are set free from sin's penalty and can have the relationship with him that we were created to have. A relationship without condemnation. No condemnation. That's what Romans 8 says. Therefore, now, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. That might be a little bit different on the screen. I've got it memorized in an older NIV. <laughs> um, so we, but, but we still might st feel the emotion. We still may feel the guilt because that actually can come and that can be a good thing coming by conviction of the Holy Spirit. But we can do something about it. Shame is different. Shame isn't an emotion. Shame is actually a mindset that somehow we are defective. And we're embarrassed by who we are, and who we are is defective. And we feel completely exposed. Uh, an author named John Powell, he actually, I believe, was a Jesuit priest, wrote the, a book called, Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And he made an interesting statement. He said, I'm afraid to tell you who I am, because if I tell you who I am, you may not like who I am, and it is all that I have. That's feeling exposed. A few weeks ago on, on uh, Easter, Resurrection Sunday, uh, we heard again about the grace that was given to the Apostle Peter. Uh, Peter, by nature, was pretty brash, but his nature was completely exposed when he denied Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And Peter was brash. He, he, he vowed that he was never going to turn away from Jesus. Never even if all the others did. But he did it three times in one night. That was a crushing failure for him. To his credit, when that rooster crowed, Peter remembered the Lord's words and he broke down and he wept bitterly. I believe that showed not only conviction and shame, but I think that also showed a desire to repent that he knew it was wrong and he deeply regretted it and wanted to turn from it. And if you fast forward it on Easter Sunday, we ended up in John chapter 21, the breakfast by the shore of the Lake of Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And Peter in that after breakfast, walking along the beach, restored, was restored to full relationship with Jesus. Jesus took him and forgave him. Peter was set free from his guilt and his shame. Why, why is that so important? Well, look what happened within 50 days, within 40 days. 
the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And who stands and delivers the gospel to them? Peter. Holy Spirit came on him just like the others. Peter, from that point on, had a totally renewed passion, unwavering courage to preach. He became one of the fathers of the Christian church. So his life went from a tragic failure, which it would have been if, he had, if it had ended there, to a triumphant ministry. Well, maybe you can relate to what we've talked about. Maybe it hasn't happened to you, but you, we all probably know people who are living with this. The encouragement I want to bring today is we don't have to. We don't have to live with it. Because God wants to renew our hearts and our minds so that we can shine like light into, into our world and be light to others. Shining the light of God's love into a world that desperately needs it. Shame attacks our identity. Guilt involves confronting those sinful behaviors. If shame says I'm a bad person, guilt says I made a bad choice. I sinned. Shame leaves us in bondage. Confessing true guilt sets us forgiven and free. So how do we do it? Is it just that simple? Mm, I, I, I wish it was, but here's how. First, and this might be a real struggle for some of us, recognizing that we are not our sins. They do not define us. Remember, we started life created in the image of God. And we, bear, we are image bearers of God whether we're still in sin or not. But our sin does not define us. Second, we need to recognize that we are also not what others have done to us. People who have, who have suffered egregious sin at the hands of other people become convinced that it was their fault. It must have been their fault. There must be, they must be the problem. Sometimes they even get uh, gaslighted. You know, they become convinced that it was their fault. It is not. We are not what others have done to us. And we are not what others say to us. We are who God says we are. We are his children. We are not what others say about us. What matters is what God says. In Jesus, we're forgiven and free. We're changed. In Jesus, we can do great things. In, in Jesus, we can be molded and shaped and conformed more and more to that image that God wanted us to start out with. The one that we were created to have before sin. We can be set free. And this is something you have to take to the take to heart and have to say it to yourself enough times until you begin to believe it because it's the truth. We are loved by God without limit. Let that sink in. Without limit. So, 
Recognize that we aren't our sins. Recognize we aren't what others have done to us. Third, we need to do. Accept the things that cannot be changed. Our past. Our past cannot be changed. It's over. It's done. David, king of Israel. Man after God's own heart. I love that. (laughs) But he learned that lesson the hard way. He he committed adultery with the wife of, of a man named Uriah, who was one of his elite soldiers. And when she became when she got pregnant because of that, he 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 tried to arrange leave for her husband to have a trip home to spend time with his sweetie and then go back to the battle so that her husband would think that the child was his. But what he didn't count was that Uriah was too upstanding for that. He said, I can't leave my fellow soldiers. That would be like desertion to me. No, I will have time later. I won't do that. So David had a problem. And so he opted for plan B. He arranged to have Uriah killed in a battle. Put him at the front and then everybody back up six steps and let him get the arrows. So in short, he sinned. Then he sinned again. And then he sinned big time again. But he didn't get away with it. The Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, to confront him. And instead of denying it, this is why we know he was a man with a heart after God. Instead of denying it and trying to continue the deception, he admitted his sin. Psalm 51 is actually the record of how deeply he repented. won't read the whole thing, but we have the first two verses and the last two here. Excuse me a second. Yeah, let's just turn there. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love. Unfailing love. According to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And he goes on to talk about what he's done and he knows that he has actually sinned against God, not just those people. But he finishes with this in verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. See, King David didn't pretend he was innocent. He was honest. He went directly to God. He sought, received forgiveness, and he was restored. He couldn't change the past. He had to live with the consequences of his actions. But he knew the Lord and he went before him and he brought his sin into the light. And he didn't let it damage his relationship with the Lord any further. He couldn't change the past, 
but he knew who could change him. That's the third part of breaking free. Not only do we have to accept that God cannot be changed, we can accept that God can change our future. He can and will. Jeremiah, love this verse, Jeremiah 29 11, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Hope in, so we hope, we know that God can change our future. We can hope in what God has promised to us. The past is past. And just as King David found, the Apostle John rephrased in his small letter to all of the churches, he said this, if, and it was a conditional if, if we confess our sins, and it's true, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God will restore us to the joy of our salvation and he will give us a right spirit, a spirit willing to follow him. So the last thing to do, and this might be counterintuitive when you feel this until you get it and internalize it, run toward God, not away from him. God is a God of grace. So instead of turning inward with shame, we turn upward. We look up to the God of healing and the God of hope. You know, it's difficult to accept that the past has passed. But when we keep replaying those, those, uh, those recordings in our head, uh, we keep it alive a lot longer than it needs to be. We have to leave it there. And with God's help, we can. I mean, that's, that's what we do. If anyone is in Christ, and that's farther along, don't worry about it yet, in anyone that's in Christ, there are persons a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's what Ebenezer Scrooge said in, in A Christmas Carol. Most of us have seen that. When he finally gets it at the very end, he says, he repents and he says, I'm not the man I was, I'm not the man I was, I'm not the man I was. Then he wakes up and finds out that the world has changed because he's not the man he was. I won't let the, the past define me. Further, I won't let the past haunt me. I'm not going to be defined by what I've done or by what has been done to me. I'm going to be defined by what Jesus says about me. Yeah, once in a while, uh, uh, well, more often, I guess, if, you, if, you, if you're a worship if you're, if you're uh, on a worship team, you get it. You, you find songs that just resonate. You, you just, they ring true and they just resonate with you. One of these is a song by, by Ben Fielding and Reuben Morgan called Who You Say I Am. Um, and in the bridge of the song, it says this, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. And then the chorus just rings so completely true. Who the Son sets free, oh, is free indeed. I am a child of God. Yes, I am. Wow. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. 
So, if you want to live with shame, keep it secret. Don't admit it. Let it gnaw away at you. And keep believing the lie of the enemy. If you want to be set free from it, turn from it. Bring it into the light. Confess it. Believe and receive the forgiveness of God. Whatever you have done, Jesus died for that sin too. We are made right with God through the righteousness of Jesus because Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid the penalty. We all are made right that way. None of us get there on our own. All of us have sinned. All who come to Jesus, though, in sincere repentance for our sin are forgiven and free. Well, is that all there is to it? Oh, no, no. People who have lived with shame a long time are still going to struggle. But as our minds are renewed and we grow our relationship with Jesus, we will be released. Because if we're in Christ, we are new. The old is gone. We've been set free from the power of sin and death. The only reason it still has power in our life often is because we don't really believe it because we still don't think we're worthy. News bulletin, none of us are worthy. This is level ground. But we receive it because of the love, grace, and mercy of God. So when we reject what our shame says about us, then we can hear what God says about us. His love endures forever. His love for us is unending. And God is working in all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, who the Son sets free. Oh, is free indeed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I, I wish we could just flick a switch and it would be over and done. That we would go from hating ourselves or feeling worthless to knowing our immense worth that you, our Lord, would die for us. Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? But you have, Lord. Help us to internalize that and with a renewed commitment to leave the past in the past and to seek help for those things that we know we're struggling with, to talk with someone else who can encourage us and counsel us, to seek you, Lord, and beg and ask and release to be set free by you. Lord, we are, we are works in process. We're progressing. We're not there. The rest of our lives, Lord, we will, Lord willing, one step at a time, move closer to you. So Jesus, take this life, take my life, take our lives. Make us the kind of people you want us to be so that we don't act like we don't really believe you, but that we truly, internally, heart and soul and mind, believe you are who you say you are and you have done this for us. We love you, Lord. 
In Jesus' name, amen.